All right, I want to welcome on our next guest. We've got Steve Weiss, senior correspondent, NFL Network. Steve, how's everything going? Hey, things are good, man. You know, out here in L.A., um, the weather's great. At home, enjoying it, like most like most folks. You know, we're, we're sheltered at home, but uh, more and more folks are getting out and about. Uh, you can definitely tell folks have gotten a little antsy as the weather's gotten a little bit warmer and the beaches have gotten a little bit warmer and they've relaxed some of the rules. But, no, man, things are good. We're just... Just adjusting like the rest of the world and, and praying that uh, everybody dealing with this comes through healthy and just salute to all the frontline folks, the assisted living care workers, the flight attendants, the doctors, the nurses, the gro- just everybody making our lives as normal as possible and comforting those who's aren't. Absolutely. I think they're, I think they're so underappreciated and hopefully after this, like they take a stand, maybe some of them say, Hey, like we, we deserve a little bit more respect than we've been giving. And hopefully just like even just teachers, like what they're having to go through. Now, I think right. Lot, it's, it's, I think it's incredible. And I think teachers have always been underappreciated. And now they're like, oh, wait a minute. You want me to teach him trigonometry? Oh, no, no, no. This guy, I think he can do, I think they, they do the best job. Yeah, but it, it's just a wild world we're living in. Did you have any big Memorial Day weekend plans that just kind of aren't going to happen now? Well, as far as Memorial Day weekend, I was supposed to, uh, I was actually supposed to uh, marry um, my wife's cousin and his wife, I was supposed to, uh, oversee their wedding and, and, you know, say the vows for, we had a big deal down in new Orleans at the oh. history museum down there. And I was flattered that they asked me to, to be the person to actually wed them. And, uh, that's off till next year. <laughs> so other than that, the following weekend, I turned 54. So there we go. It'll, it'll be like a lot of us who, uh, who are doing celebrations, in our own little private way, which is pretty much how I like it. Absolutely. That's awesome. And then, so this past, since the NFL offseason really is kind of getting, it's gotten to, we've already had really the first wave of free agency and the draft come through. What's about it have you been most impressed with that this really went much better according to plan than you might have thought? Wow. Well, I mean, look, the the draft, I mean, come on. It's, it's you know, the NFL, nobody does a big event better than the NFL. So the, the, the plans of doing this thing in Vegas, you knew it was going to be fantastic after the years, seeing it go so well in Philly and Chicago uh, and places like that. And the fact that they adjusted the way they did, you know, got cameras in the homes of coaches and GMs and players, you know, and, and Roger Goodell doing this from his house and to execute this without a technical glitch that at least we could see publicly uh, was fantastic. Now it was tough for us at the network because our studios are closed and we're based here in LA. We are not considered an essential business operation. So shut down the studios as well as NFL films up in New Jersey. So ESPN, which up in Connecticut is considered a, an essential news agency. They ran the draft. We had a couple of our people on there, but people like myself and Omar Ruiz and, Jane Slater, Kim Jones, a lot of our folks normally involved in the draft, we were kind of on the sidelines. And so that part of it was kind of like, you know, but otherwise the fact that the league was able to pull that off the way it did, you know, free agency, that kind of goes like it normally goes. Uh, That kind of went the way it normally went. And the schedule release was fantastic. Um, But just look, the NFL caught a break that it's not missing games like every other major sport. And so the fact that they're kind of handling this the way they have is, has really been a very solid effort. 
Absolutely. And speaking of the draft, I know you went out and spent some time in Hawaii with two Tagovailoa. Tonga, Tonga Vailoa. Tongo Vailoa. Let it roll off the tongue. Tongo Vailoa. Isn't that short for something? I think it's like a, it's an abbreviation or something much longer. Tua, Tua is abbreviated. Now, I'm not going there. But Tonga Vailoa is the actual last name. And then so how was that? Like, because that was before everything happened, like every, all the different kind of shutdowns. How, what was that like? Yeah, well, you know, I met two a couple of years ago at an event and have uh, met, you know, and I know I, I'm on the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame oh. selection committee. And so I know a lot of the people who are around Tua and his family. And so I've met, I've met the family throughout the process. And so January was actually like the Wednesday before the NFC championship game. I uh, flew out to Honolulu. Spent 30 hours there uh, interviewing Tua, his family, spending some time with him um, at some of the events surrounding the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame, and then flew back to cover the game. Um, but, yeah, and, but we've kept in touch since then. And just the whole process, what that guy has gone through and, and, you know, kind of resisted the urge to do more but stayed on a prescribed sense of rehab allowed him to, to come back the way he has and to come back healthy. Um, but just meeting him and his family, just such wonderful people, just, you know, they, they care about others before themselves, which is why he is, he is so beloved by his teammates at Alabama because he wanted to make sure everybody else was good before he was. And I mean, just what he's going to bring to South Florida off the field and in that locker room as, as an ambassador is going to be just as important and, and just as special as what he's going to bring on the field. So do you, do you do like that fit more than some of the other prospective locations that were other prospective teams that were looking at him? Yeah. I mean, part of it is, you know, one, he's going to a team that's going to grow with him. That is a young team. Uh, they're not quite there yet, but also getting Chan Gailey uh, in as the offensive coordinator, people said, oh, Chan Gailey's old, blah, blah, blah. Chan Gailey, he's been running RPOs uh, since the nineties. I mean, I remember him at Georgia tech when he had a quarterback named Reggie ball who could run it, things like this. He's worked with some, some quarterbacks, including Ryan Fitzpatrick before, um, on how to run this offense. So I think it's a more perfect fit. Had he gone to the chargers, like that team is stocked and ready to win now and the pressure to play to a right away, moving into that new stadium with the chargers being the second team in LA, I think would have been significantly greater than it will be in Miami to get him on the field. He's eventually going to play some point his rookie year, but maybe not week one. Um, so I, I do think all things considered, um, this is this is the right spot for him. Although with the Chargers, boy, he would have been – you talk about a splash acquisition yeah. in this market, that, that would have been huge as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think like having a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick to kind of learn from, I don't think there's maybe like a better mentor as a starting quarterback. Well, Tyrod Taylor would have been fantastic That's as well true. with That's the Chargers. True. I mean, he's done it. Both guys have been in the situation before. They're, they could not be better pros in how they've handled the situation. So either way, in terms of a quarterback room, he would have been in safe hands. Do you think Mike Jasicki is going to get a lot more buzz this year than he has in the past few with Tua? You know, he really stepped up last year because there was a lot of people like, what is Gusecki? You know, what is he? What is, you know. And, and last year, the way their offense finally came around, once they got their personnel in order, and once they kind of figured out that Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to be the guy and not Josh Rosen, um, he really emerged, as did Devontae Parker. We knew Devontae Parker had the talent, but, man, I mean, he put together that season, earned him an extension, and, and we'll see how he continues to grow. But I think, again, that's that young nucleus that I was talking about. They still, again, they still got a ways to go. But with some of the offensive linemen they drafted to, to make sure that they protect Tua, 
they're they're all if they can all stay healthy and they can all afford them once to a second contract kicks in, uh, the Dolphins might be a team to reckon with. Absolutely, and I know with Gasicki, I remember a couple of years ago I went to I got some tickets to a Maryland Penn State game with Sake ones last year, and I'm like this is gonna be amazing. Can't let him go to see this guy. And he really, we only stayed for the first half because it was like 40 nothing. But Saquon didn't really do anything. And I'm like, who's this tight end? Like, this guy's got something. And as soon as I saw him kind of fall to the Dolphins a couple of years ago, I'm like, this guy, keep your eye on this guy. And I think just that offense, especially, you know, you get Preston Williams, who yep. was fantastic before he went down. Devontae Barker, a lot of people have been saying, what's going on with him? He finally broke out last year. I think they're going to be an exciting team to watch. And he had a great coaching staff. I think there's a great system around him. But I think that's going to be a good nucleus for the future. And for the first time in two decades, that division's up for grabs. Absolutely. You know, so, so, yeah, I mean, that's going to be a fun division to watch. Absolutely. And then last year we saw the Ravens kind of come out of nowhere and just take the league by storm. Who, who do you think for this upcoming season, who will be that team? First off, I don't know if the Ravens came out of nowhere because everyone around the league is like, they're always going to be a tough out. But the way they emerged was fantastic. So who could that team be this year? That, that's a great question. Um, could it be the Colts with Phillip Rivers? I mean, they're built. They're, they're ready to rock and roll. Um, so, you know, they're, they're definitely a team to keep an eye on. Again, in a division that really, I think the Houston Texans weakened themselves by trading away DeAndre Hopkins. Um, you know, when I look around elsewhere, something tells me that Cleveland is going to be a pain in the, in the, in the neck for some teams. I, I just, you know, again, I'm not – proclaiming the hype i didn't i'm not buying into the hype like i did last year but the noise around that team is gone you know you 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 haven't heard it so you know there's another team and and out west um you know i'm I'm really i'm intrigued to see if if john gruden can finally put it together with the raiders um that is going to be a tough division i think denver's going to be a lot better Um, it's a shame that they don't have an offseason where a guy like Drew Locke can get things together with, with Jerry Judy and some of the talent that they acquired. But I'm just really – you know, the Raiders have been steadily building, and now it's time for them to pop. So is this when Derek Carr is going to prove himself, or is this when they decide to move on? So, you know, those are the couple of the teams that I'm looking at. But, I mean, the Colts are definitely – to me, a team that could emerge. I don't know if that would be a surprise, but we saw Tennessee do it last year out of that division. I think it could be the Colts this year. Yeah, the Colts, they, I think a lot of people are sleeping on them. The O-line, fantastic O-line. You got Phil Rivers. You got Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. But they got Pittman from USC, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah they got Pittman. And, you know, it's funny. With all these great receivers that came out in this draft, like living here in L.A. and watching a lot of SC games, I'm like, all but, all but about two games, he was the best player on the field every game. Like, he took over games. Like, why isn't anybody talking about Michael Pittman? He ran a good 40 time. The guy's like 6'5". Um, you know, there were a couple games where they just double and triple teamed him and took him away. But, I mean, that's a huge, huge get. But, again, like a lot of these rookies not having the on-field work in the offseason is going to be a setback. So, it, it might take him eight or nine games before he really starts making the impact that he's capable of making. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going, be, it's going to be a wild, wild season. And then flipping over to basketball, I assume you've been catching up with the last dance, not really much else. Oh, yeah. On. So what, what had kind of, what's caught your eye that you're like, I can't believe this happened? Well, I covered the NBA back then. Um, I was covering the NBA starting in 1997 down at the Miami Herald. And, of course, I worked at the Washington Post. I covered Michael Jordan um, when he came to work for the Wizards. I actually broke the story for the Post that he was coming to work, oh, wow. you know, as, as the director of basketball operations and part owner. 
So, I mean, just knowing Michael Jordan, the relationship we built in the back end of his career and then covering him from afar during that period, I mean, I remember all of this from as, as a fan to the bad boy era to, you know, again, this last season. I mean, I was there at game six in Utah when he hit the shot of Brian Russell to seal the deal. And, you know, those battles with the Pacers, you know, that, that they used to have, and the battles with the Knicks and the Heat were, were just incredible. But the, to me, because Michael Jordan was making this film, like he's got the editorial yeah. control, I did not think that they would give some of the candid looks that they gave. I mean, some of the locker room shots with, with him and Ron, you know, Ron Harper and Scottie Pippen, that shot the last episode of him bawling after they won that title on Father's Day against the, the Sonics. We've never seen Michael Jordan just take those deep breath heaves, you know, that, that we've all had in this just tremendous moment of, of emotional exhaustion. Um, you know, and the stories, I, I love the fact that a whole generation of people who also did not get to experience the Bulls and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman are now getting a chance to see it. And I'm not one who makes comparisons between is Michael Jordan the greatest ever, is Kareem the greatest ever, is uh, LeBron James the greatest ever. But I do think the fact that people are getting to see how just absolutely amazing Michael Jordan was, they're kind of like, hmm, you know, this is my only glimpse of seeing him in live action and just annihilating people and, you know, going up for a dunk and then raising six inches higher while he's in midair and just seeing some of the spectacular things he could do and will his teammates, you know, to play better. Um, you know, I, I think people getting that glimpse of him is absolutely something special. Absolutely. I think it just takes a leadership quality to be like, you know, I know I'm on, I'm in this tier above them, but I need to bring the rest of these people up with me or we're not going to get the job done. And just seeing, seeing him kind of take over and seeing him be receptive to some of the, some of the kind of, um, advice that Phil Jackson, some of the other guys like kind of tone it down a little bit and just seeing how they, he was able to do that. I don't think I've ever seen anybody else be able to kind of handle their rest of their squad like that before. Well, I mean, look, he, he worked, he worked harder than everybody. That's, yeah. that's the, the attribute of all great leaders. I mean, that's why, you know, LeBron James is who he was, why Kobe yeah. was who he was, why Tom Brady and Drew Brees, they, they work harder than everybody. Yeah. So if they tell someone you need to get your backside in gear, they're like, yeah, I kind of do if he's going to do it. You know, if it's just somebody who's, you know, going off of their reputation, their profile saying, hey, work harder. And they're like, I outwork you right now. You just have, you know, I'm not listening to you. You're a little bit more gifted or you get a little more favoritism. But the fact that Jordan was that guy, I mean, I think when everyone saw him sacrifice, the episode where, you know, when he was playing for Doug Collins and Stan Albeck, he was the, he was the focal point. Phil Jackson said, we're playing the triangle. You might not be the focal point. The fact he bought in. And allowed Scottie Pippen to emerge, and Horace Grant to emerge, and all these other guys to emerge. That says a lot because very few superstars are, are doing that. Very few superstars are setting their pride aside. You know, Tom Brady taking less than 15 other quarterbacks salary-wise so he could get help with the rest of his team. There's not any other quarterbacks doing that. No, no one's doing that. So, again, that's why they have so much organizational respect, so much generational respect, and that's why they're the greatest of all time. Absolutely. The one thing that really caught my attention was seeing how much he respected Rodman from the get-go. And you're like, these guys are complete polar opposites. You, you'd know that if they weren't winning, they'd you'd probably be like, Dennis kind of going to scale it back behind the scenes. But the fact that they were like, yeah, go, go to Vegas. Go, go. We need to go. Like, it's, it's unbelievable to see that now because you know that would never happen 
now I can't tell you any player in the NBA that would be cool with one of their teammates or their main core pieces just to be like, yeah, yeah, you're good. Go hang out with Carmen Electra. We'll see you, see you in, uh, on Thursday. Well, the, look, here, here's the other part to that. I mean, let's not forget the Bulls hated Dennis Rodman. When he played for the Pistons, he was a pain for them. He was a reason why they didn't win championships. People forget, man. I mean, I remember Rodman. He was a sixth man, 6'9", maybe the best athlete I've ever seen. I mean, wow. he could run. He could jump. He was so quick off the floor. He could D up a 6'3 guy. He could D up a 6'10 guy. Um, so for, for them, for him to come into the environment that they had um, and for those guys to accept him, I remember I was covering the Miami Heat then, and Pat Riley was the coach. And, and you know, we used to talk, like, Riles, you know, how does that work? And he said, that is the only locker room in the NBA that could absorb him. Wow. Right. And, and so that's why, you know, to get to the NFL, like Antonio Brown could go to a locker room like the Patriots and they could absorb him and get him to comply. That didn't happen with the Raiders. That's not happening anywhere else unless there's a certain culture. And so that's why it worked with Rodman. The guys understood it. Um, as long as he wasn't disruptive, that's fine because when he was on the floor, that's a player that does not get talked about enough. Yeah. He, I mean, he was amazing to watch. I talked about the athleticism, but the hustle, the effort, the fact he said that I don't need to score, he would just lock down great players like Carl Malone and, and, and Charles Barkley and other players like this to where they just wanted to rip their hair out. Um, and to have somebody sacrifice like he did, um, noticing that everybody sacrificed for him. And I, and that speaks a lot to that culture and what Phil Jackson really implemented. And, and then it got Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen to sign off on it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of people have a, a much more big, a much better appreciation of Rodman after kind of seeing him in this and just sort of seeing kind of what he went through and just kind of his upbringing and just kind of, it didn't really go well with the Spurs, which is surprising that David Robinson couldn't really handle it, but Jordan could. Which Greg Popovich, my man. Popovich is a rigid dude. He was not having it. It was yeah. bad. It, I mean, they trust me, they skimmed over all of that stuff. It was yeah. bad the time. It was not a pleasant experience for him or for the Spurs. And then speaking of the Pistons, one thing I kind of caught that I really didn't see anybody else mentioning, you saw they kind of showed his kind of spat that still looks like it's going on to this day with Isaiah Thomas. I noticed, that, I think it was the, the first or second episode, when they kind of went in on Bobby Knight saying, oh, this is the best college player I've ever seen. You think that was an intentional dig as a, as a, at Isaiah Thomas? That MJ said that? No, that Bobby Knight said that. That Bobby MJ, Knight? That he said that of MJ. Do you think that was no, a I don't, I don't think that was a dig at Isaiah Thomas. I mean, Isaiah Thomas won a national championship for, yeah. for Bobby Knight. I mean, I just think Bobby Knight is, is brutally honest. Yeah. I mean, Isaiah Thomas was a great player. and um. To me, he doesn't get enough credit as, as one of the best players ever in NBA history. And a part of it is because his personality and the way he's rubbed so many people, even post-career, uh, the wrong way. I, I, I happen to get along with Zeke. Um, and I remember when you know, he used to coach the Raptors and they were winning ball games, And he was actually a candidate at one point to either coach the Wizards or be a GM of the Wizards. Wow. I can't remember. So I used to talk to Isaiah a lot. And then, you know, when Michael – came in to be the, the head of basketball ops. You know, Zeke would call me and, hey, tell Michael he can't run a basketball team from Chicago, you know, because Michael has spent a lot of time in Chicago hmm. and not in D.C. all the time. He left Wes Unseld, who was still the general manager, to oversee the day-to-day -day operations. And there was a lot of stuff going on that Michael didn't have. So Zeke would call me like, I tell Michael, you know, 
he needs to be in D.C. to watch this stuff. So I think there is a respect um, between the two as like what they've done professionally, but in terms of them being amorous to one another, no, never, never was, clearly never will be, and that's that. That is what it is. Absolutely. And then so we have one more weekend left at the last dance. Are you looking forward to seeing Carl Malone as much as I am? Just to see, I, I can't wait to just hear just hear his side interviews. I think he's one of those fascinating players in NBA history that really doesn't get talked about as much as he should. Yeah, I, I just remember, I mean, he was such a great player, but I just remember Rodman just. And it was funny because like him and Rodman were like two uh, WWE guys. They were two wrestling guys. And I think each of them actually made appearances in the ring, kind of like a Rob Gronkowski is. And so when they got to play each other, man, Rodman, man, Rodman was so in his chest. And it was like all of Malone, as many great plays as him and Stockton made, Malone's points came from the free throw line wow. because Rodman was not – see, one thing that, that people forget about the Bulls is they were the first team to win a championship without a dominant big man, right? They were winning the guys like Bill Cartwright, Luke Longley, Bill Wennington. And then the 97-98 team, they had a guy named Bison Daley. Um, I believe it was University of Maryland guy who went by Brian Williams, I believe, before he changed his name. It was a hell of a, hell of a talent. Um, rest in peace. He died several years ago. Um, but when the Bulls would pick up guys half court, so you had Ron Harper, who was like a 6'8 point guard. Wingspan seemed like it was nine feet. Scottie Pippen, 6'8. Same wingspan. MJ, 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, Similar wingspan. The dragnet they formed for opposing guards to get the ball across half court. I mean, other teams could not get into their play until there was maybe seven or eight seconds left on the shot clock. So if, if, they, if, if it was not a transition-type game, then the Bulls were locking you down up front. That's why, you know, one thing people that's not talked about when you look at the last dance, look at the scores of these games. Yeah, They are rarely in the hundreds because yeah. they used to stifle teams. We talk about – how exciting they were and this and that defensively. And then you had Rodman on the backside and then whichever big man they rotated through. I mean, it was just incredible how athletic and long and swarming they were, especially with their perimeter defense. Absolutely. And then speaking on the current slate of sports, um, if you were to bet which sport you think tries to come back first, which one would you say? Oh, oh, I mean, we're seeing Major League Baseball and the NBA uh, come back. I think it'll just because the sheer number of people, it'll take baseball a little bit longer than the NBA. So I, I think the NBA will be the first one uh, to try to come back again. They're, they're both in conversations to, to get back into stadiums and to get guys in shape and to get them ready. So, but I think the NBA just because of the way their natural calendar is and if they can have something, maybe a, a tournament, a playoff tournament in July and August, um, you know, that would kind of be something that, that they would watch. But, I mean, they, look, they've got a fewer – they've got, what, 15 players, three or four coaches. The staff is not nearly the size as it is for Major League Baseball or for the NHL or definitely not the NFL. Their arenas, 18 to 20,000-seat arenas, again, much smaller than a Major League ballpark or even an MLS soccer park. And definitely, again, we're talking about a football stadium. So I think that will be kind of the test – professional sport that will start first see how it works with no fans maybe and then you know a certain number of fans and everyone's really going to pay attention to that part 
Absolutely. Well, absolutely. Well, this has been awesome. I wanted to just to thank you again so much for taking the time. And how can people find you on social media if they don't already follow you? Yeah, man. This last name, W-Y-C-H-E-89, Y-C-H-89 on uh, Twitter and Instagram. My Facebook is pretty personal, but I do have a, uh, I guess, a, a work page as well. So you can find me, you know, all over the place. But I uh, look, I appreciate the time chatting it up like this. This is great just to talk a lot of NBA because those are some of the most fun days I had in my career. And thank you, know, thank you again for really checking in and asking me to do this. Absolutely, man. It's been awesome. It's been awesome. And then just wanted to remind everybody, so we're donating all the proceeds to Feeding America. You can find all the links under all the social posts. Um, if you can, give back. It's great if you can. Just enjoy. You're just trying to make a little bit of a difference if we can. It's a very, I know it's a, it's a very difficult time for a lot of people. Just wanted to kind of just get that in there. But, yeah, but this has been awesome, man. So thank you so much again. And I'm looking forward to just kind of just everything sort of restarting, restoring back to normal. Kind of, just, I think football is going to be like it's when it when it hits, it's going to be like all right, we're, we're getting there. Right? Yeah, we're we're all we're all waiting, man. We're all keeping our fingers crossed that we can find a find a cure, or at least some regional measures to manage it, and then we can all get back to uh, to life the best way possible.